Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. How's it going? Uh, Welcome, listeners, to the latest edition of The Other Hand. As usual, lots to talk about. Uh, I just want to start off before I talk about the agenda. Uh, I saw a news story today where Eminem has asked the U.S. presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy to stop using his music in his promotional videos. Vivek Ramaswamy is, is a Republican candidate for the presidency and apparently he is the one out of the also rans who's actually gaining most momentum at the moment apparently has a lot of money behind him he's in his 30s a young guy you you just wondering the republican candidate race uh, is there any point anybody else going up against trump unless he's locked up well they're all vying to be his vice president, aren't they? Isn't they that, are isn't indeed. That the idea. Yeah, and yeah. this guy is a Harvard graduate. He's clearly very bright. I think he's very rich. He's got loads of money himself. He's raised loads of money and is racing ahead in the polls for number two. Absolutely right. And um, he's got an absolutely brilliant suggestion. I don't know if you've seen it, Jim, for ending the Ukraine war. His plan for ending the Ukraine war, it's, it's, it's brilliant. He is going to go to Putin and say, you can have the eastern Donbass and you can have Crimea, um, but you've got to break all your links with China. Uh, I mean, it's foolproof, isn't it? I mean, it's it's just so brilliant. I can't imagine uh, why anybody hasn't thought of this before. What I think this fellow shows is that there are no depths to which we as a species can plumb. Their intelligence, as measured conventionally by things like attendance at Harvard, or as measured by income and wealth, is no respecter of complete idiocy. And I wish the American people well. Indeed. But getting back to the agenda, we spoke in our last podcast about what was happening in the euro area and about the European Central Bank making policy mistakes. Well, today we've got Eurozone money supply data out, 
which I think is really interesting, does require a little bit of analysis. I think we need to talk about what's happening in Germany, some wage data out there uh, coming on top of an economy that is struggling very badly at the moment. Uh, there was another announcement in the UK about delaying border checks. And there was some Irish data, retail sales, um, quarterly earnings growth that I just want to take you through very quickly. And uh, you spotted a nice piece in The Economist about the World War II bombing of London. And it demonstrates clearly the impact that graphics are having on visual presentation at this juncture. It's just every time something is released, it just ups a notch every time. It's amazing stuff. But there's also a more interesting, subtle message uh, regarding the rebuilding of London that you want to talk about. Ukraine, I think, is worth uh, revisiting at this juncture. Uh, there is a story in the last couple of days from the Ukraine side that Ukraine has recaptured Robotani, which is a village in southeast Ukraine. And the Ukrainians are claiming they've broken Russia's first line of defense. That That is one story, but there's a very different narrative out there about what's really happening in Ukraine at the moment. So I think that does warrant um, some discussion. Um, if I may just start off with the Eurozone story, um, relating back to what we were talking about for the European Central Bank, um, the European Central Bank apparently still monitors money supply very closely. And apparently it's one of the indicators it looks at in determining the future of monetary policy. And it looks at an old-fashioned measure of money supply called M3, which I think most of us have stopped looking at many, many years ago. I remember, Chris, in a former life when I worked for you, let it be said, um, I was your servant back in the time, back in the day. Still um, are, mate. Still are. Still are, right. So, but I remember one of the really interesting market movers at that stage was German M3 growth and the impact it had on the Bundesbank? Jim, I am even older than you. And so I remember when weekly money supply data for the United States was more important than even non-farm payrolls is today. And I remember having a beer in London when I was much younger, um, oh, much, much younger than I am now, and a, a mate of mine who now lives in a massive spread in the south of France in the hills just above Nice, he retired, I'm not sure if he retired in his 30s or his 40s, but he was a market trader in equities in London for a big American investment bank, which shall remain nameless. And we're having a beer. And Tony said to me, he said, Chris, he said, uh, he was a North Londoner. He said, Chris, every Thursday night, um, these things called money supply numbers come out of uh, the States. And if they're good, I buy. And if they're bad, I sell. I said, that's right, Tony, because that's because monetary policy and all that sort of thing. He said, oh, that's why it is, is it? I was going to ask you, why do I do that? And he had no idea what he was doing, why he was doing what he was doing. He just knew when to buy and when to sell. And I think that I never learned that lesson early on enough in my career was is don't ask the question why, just get on with it. And if there's an opportunity to get on with things, please take it. Don't, don't do the, the infant toddler thing of always asking why, because then you'll never actually achieve anything so tony lives in the south of france um on a big spread and i live on a much smaller one in the south of wales and i think that in itself tells the story but anyway that's my original money the money supply weekly used to move u.s markets and therefore all markets 30 40 years ago 
And as you say, it's fallen by the wayside, apart from one institution, our good friends in Frankfurt, the ECB, apparently still look at it. And they, they must be really worried because they want to put interest rates up soon again, according to everything they're saying. But yet all of the indicators, including their beloved money supply, I think it's turned negative for the first time in about 200 years, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, Chris, do you remember back when we were learning economic theory many, many moons ago, uh, the quantity theory of money, MV equals PQ? Um, Milton Friedman with the quote that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Which is why we look at money supply. Which is yes. why we looked at money well, supply. We used to, anyway. We used to, but its, it's relevance has really, really uh, disappeared pretty much. But as you say, there is still one central bank we're aware of that looks at money supply allegedly. But the latest money supply data, M3 data for the euro area, shows that in July, it contracted by 0.4% year on year. And that is the first time since 2010 that money supply in the euro area has contracted. And of course, go back to 2010, that was a time when there was serious crisis in the eurozone economy. Um, within that money supply data, private sector lending has stalled. And in fact, lending to the private sector fell by 1.6% during the month and deposits are also declining. So the inference you would draw from that if you attach importance to money supply, that economic activity is set to slow further and inflationary pressures are set to cool. So if the European Central Bank actually does look closely at money supply, it appears certain that on September 14th, which is the next meeting of the European Central Bank's Governing Council, that um, they will pause interest rate increases for the first time since July 2022. But do you think they take money supply seriously, Jim? That will be answered on September 14, Chris. If they do not increase interest rates and leave them on hold, that's a sign, yeah, they're still taking money supply seriously. If the ECB increases rates, it's a sign that they talk about it, but they don't actually observe it. For listeners that are not steeped in the history of monetary theory, monetary economics, monetarists, people who believe that the money supply does tell them something, are a bit like dinosaurs. They're almost extinct. Um, but uh, there are one or two economists out there who still think that uh, money supply is important. 99.9% um, .9 of economists don't for all sorts of practical reasons, not least when we did think it was important, we discovered that we didn't know how to measure it and that the correlations between money supply and inflation were varied in the extreme, and controlling the money supply proved to be extremely difficult, much more difficult than people thought, and that all of those original Milton Friedman-type ideas were discredited, apart from at the ECB, apparently. In Ireland, Chris, we got two pieces of data over the last couple of days that are somewhat interesting. One is retail sales. Retail sales is consumer spending on physical goods, Okay, it's less than 40% of consumer spending. It's probably closer to 30% at this juncture. In July, um, retail sales declined in volume terms by 0.8% and in value terms by, sorry, I don't have the value figure. I'm looking at the volume figures here. Okay, forgive me. Volume terms, there was a month and month decline of 0.8%. 0.8%. And if you exclude car sales, there was a decline of 4% in the month. So bar sales were down 5.5%. Food sold in specialized stores was down 4.3%. 
stuff sold in non-specialized stores down three and a half percent. So weakness, okay, but all of that is really related back to weather. Or is, it, or is it the start of something, Jim? You know, uh, well, I, I don't think so, Chris, actually. I think it was weather related. I mean, Ju- July here in Ireland, as is the case, as was the case in the UK, was a pretty dismal month in terms of weather. So that impacted certainly on people's spending behaviour. But it's worth noting that this is the first real piece of weak economic data that we've had from Ireland for, for quite a long time, isn't it? Uh, it, it? It is indeed, yeah, absolutely. So, no, you, you, you think it's a one-off? I do, actually. I mean, there there has been some softening in consumer spending um, for obvious reasons with cost of living crisis, rising interest rates and so on. But this was pretty pronounced weakness for July. So it's it's one we need to continue um, monitoring closely as we will. There was an interesting piece in that CSO report on retail sales. Uh, they now They've taken to measuring online sales in Irish registered companies. And um, in July, accounted for 4.7% of consumer spending of retail sales. Okay, 4.7%. That was at 11.8% in February 2021. So we got this surge in online shopping during COVID. And the people were out saying that, this is the end of bricks and mortar that people are just going to buy everything online from now on. But we are reverting back to the sort of pre-COVID levels. I just think um, it's an interesting trend to observe. Um, I do think there's a demographic piece there. Young people certainly buying online very strongly. Uh, But now that I think about it, a lot of the online buying that I would be exposed to from young people. Uh, it's done through ASOS, so it's not an Irish registered company. So you know it wouldn't be captured here. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The other piece of data that's interesting was we got the second quarter average weekly earnings growth for Ireland. And in the year to the second quarter, average weekly earnings up 4.3%. Okay. And within that, and here we go again the place to work uh you spoke about your friend living in france i won't even try and take his accent off but financial services earnings up seven and a half percent the strongest accommodation up 5.8 technology the ict sector up 5.8 percent construction down 1.2 percent no idea actually what's happening there um because it doesn't logically stack up and um Private sector earnings up 3.8%, public sector earnings up 6%. So in terms of wage growth, public sector is where you want to be. Um, Within the private sector, where you want to be is certainly in financial services and the ICT sector. It was always less, wasn't it, Jim? It was indeed. Nothing has changed. And probably never will. Moving to Ukraine, um, as I said in my introduction, uh, the Ukrainians claim to have recaptured a village called Robotine in the southeast of the country. Uh, they claim they have broken the Russia's first line of defense. What do you think is going on? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's really interesting. Uh, I don't claim to have any credentials or, or any kind of expertise status as an expert on war anywhere, least of all in Ukraine. But one of the things that I do do is that I write a daily summary of all of the news flow from Ukraine for, um, for a client. And uh, I've been doing it now for well over a year, sadly. It's always interesting um, in, a, in a car crash, sad sort of way, but it's particularly interesting at the moment because out of the United States last week, spreading into West, uh, Western European media this week, there's been all sorts of statements around a common theme. So multiple commentators and in the States, lots of unnamed Pentagon sources being quoted in the New York Times and the Washington Post have offered similar analyses of the war. And that analysis says that Ukraine can't win. The counteroffensive that's currently underway, you mentioned one village being taken there. The counteroffensive won't reach the Sea of Azov in, on, in its western, uh, sorry, southern flank, which is a key objective, apparently. And as a result of them not being able to succeed in their key objectives, negotiations are inevitable. And there'll be a period of stalemate before those negotiations. And those negotiations will end with Ukraine having to cede territory, bits of the Donbass, Crimea to Russia. Uh, that consensus is pretty widespread, actually, and it ranges from, as I say, those unnamed Pentagon sources to uh, very respected military historians such as Max Hastings here in the UK. But it's not a monolithic consensus, and a small backlash of sorts has started. The Washington, D.C. think tank, the Brookings Institution, very well known to you and me from a whole host of different perspectives, Jim, throughout our career, They've just published a, a long essay by somebody called Constance Steisenmuller, who's a senior fellow at the Institute, knows a lot about this kind of stuff. And she looks at the war from a Russian perspective. Remember, all of those analyses that I've just suggested are looking at what Ukraine has to do in terms of the likely negotiations after the long stalemate, after they've failed to uh, achieve their military objectives. And she takes a different perspective. And she says that when negotiations are mentioned by Western analysts, a lot of people say that, yeah, they're, you know, that analysis is, is right. Some people say it's, it's, it's wrong to think that the Ukraine are going to be forced into negotiations. Whatever happens, it, it's up to them what they do. We should really leave it up to Ukraine. But the, Konstantin Steisenmuller says that um, the Kremlin has a very similar perspective to the Ukrainians, which is that they don't want negotiations either. There's an old phrase about Donald Trump is that people used to say we should take him seriously, but not literally. And this author says that we should take Russia both literally and seriously. 
and listen to what everything Putin has said and everything that he's written. And that, that points to him saying, essentially, I'm not going to stop at Ukraine, because I believe that both Ukraine and Belarus do not deserve the status of being separate sovereign territories. They are part of Russia. They are part of greater Russia and don't exist in their own right. And at the very least, I'm going to re-establish the old Soviet sphere of influence, including those two countries. And I actually want to re-establish the old Soviet Union empire. That's their interest. So their only interest in talks will be to provide a pause between conflicts. And any idea that the war could be permanently halted by conceding Crimea and a slice of the Donbass is pure fantasy on the part of these Western armchair generals. It's a perspective. It's a point of view. I find it very, very interesting. And I, I think it has a great air of plausibility. The second aspect of the backlash against this armchair consensus is that point you made there about the taking of another village in the southern arm of their counteroffensive. And they're making incremental gains. They're very costly gains in terms of man, manpower, lives lost, injuries, and, and equipment, gear, tanks, heavy, heavy armor. The Institute for the Study of War, which is normally a very circumspect, conservative, uses its words very carefully, institute, non-profit in the United States. And it is attacking these armchair generals, as I call them, um, who are arguing that there are the Ukrainian advance is too slow and is going and they're going to lose. And in particular, it says that the the institute says that the the Pentagon, those unnamed officials who are for, keep saying that Ukraine should stop attacking at three or four different points on its front line, and you just attack at one point. The ISW says that that's the Pentagon being guilty. And this is quite strong language. Military malpractice is what it accuses the Pentagon of. So there's this huge debate going on about whether or not Ukraine is doing the right thing, whether it's doing the wrong thing, whether it can win or not. And the final point the ISW makes is that, that, that the armchair generals who say that Ukraine will not reach the coast, which is what they assume these, these armchair generals uh, think is Ukraine's objective, they point out Ukraine doesn't need to do this. Ukraine really needs, all it needs to do is get its artillery to within shooting distance, Russian supply lines. They're just a few shortish kilometers away from being able to do that, maybe. So there's an awful lot going on. And uh, the, the overall message is don't believe everything you read and see in the newspapers and on the TV, Jim. Moving uh, across to Germany, uh, you were looking at the latest German wage growth. We've got record German wage growth. It's a record in a particular sense that it it only goes back, I think, to something like 2008 or something like that, um, this particular series. But f for the first time in ages, German wage growth is either at or just above German inflation. So that's a good thing. They've got some real wage uh, recovery of a very minor sort going on. Um, it's peculiar because German, Germany's in recession. And Germany is the economy in Europe, the big economy in Europe, that's suffering the most from various influences. So it's another example of a economic weakness at the headline level, but a very tight labor market, which is not how these things are supposed to go. Germany is suffering particularly and is in recession, unlike a lot of other European economies, uh, because of a couple of factors. It's caught in a pincer movement, really. The Chinese slowdown, which we've talked about, and we could talk about and probably should talk about a lot more because it, every day there is more bad news coming out of China, 
if you're an economy that exports a lot to China, you're going to suffer. And that's the German story. It exports a lot of manufactured goods to China more proportionately than a lot of other countries. So it's suffering. The other aspect of the German economy speaks to that high industrial output content of its economy. It's still a manufacturing powerhouse. And manufacturing takes a lot of energy as an input. We all know what's happened to energy prices. Notwithstanding the fact that they've come down a lot, they're still very high in Europe, as we know from our own personal bills. So manufacturing industry is suffering because of high costs. And a lot of it in, in Germany has just shut down, actually. And that is the, the reality going forward. So they're caught between a Chinese slowdown and high input costs. And they're in recession. But their labor market remains very, very tight. It's and one Chris, of those many, many puzzles. Chris, may I, may I ask you about the, the energy situation for manufacturing? Uh, Merkel basically shut down the nuclear industry. Never in the history of, I think, elevated reputations has anybody's reputation fallen quite so far as uh, Ms. Merkel's. Um, she That decision to shut down Germany's nuclear was widely derided at the time as being a complete overreaction to the Fukushima disaster in Japan. And so it has proved. Nuclear is far safer than many people give it credit for. It has to be part of our green future. And it was a, a, a dopey decision. I said so at the time. Lots of people far more qualified than me said so at the time. And her reputation has suffered because of that, but also because of the wider German uh, exposure to, German, uh, to, to Russian gas and oil imports that had been going and the pre predated um, her arrival on the political scene, but she continued. So I think her reputation has rightly been trashed. It's, it's really interesting. In the last couple of weeks, I've seen a few headlines in various journals talking about or posing the question, is Germany now the sick man of the world? And uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting story. Chris, moving finally to the UK, uh, a couple of things that stand out. Uh, the UK has just announced that it's delaying border checks again. And you were tickled by some piece in The Economist magazine about the World War II bombing of London. Uh, the delaying of border checks in the context of Brexit, I mean, this is just an ongoing story. Of it's about the fourth or fifth limits. time that they've done it. I yeah. think we, we mentioned last time that there were rumours that they were going to be delayed again. They were supposed to be coming in this autumn. And they've been delayed for another year by the sound of things today that the government has formally announced delays. And I think that finally they're supposed to come in autumn of 2024 next year. So we'll get a new US president and border checks uh, at roughly the same time, maybe if they're not delayed again. And you, you couldn't make it up because the, the, the problem they've got, of course, is that uh, the, the physical space at important ports like Dover just isn't ready. In some cases like Dover, it just isn't there. Uh, and they've not been able to get their act together from a bureaucratic checking point of view. Uh, whereas Europe's put, had these checks in now for ages. Going the other way, you are checked. Coming this way, you're not. Um, you're, you're only supposed to, if you come in from France into England, allowed uh, 18 litres of wine, the old duty-free and, and other allowances are now back in place. Um, but if you, come, if you come off the channel tunnel, the train in your car, you could, be, you could have it filled to the rooftops and roof racks and God knows what else. You could be towing a trailer full of boo booze and fags and there are no checks. There are just no checks at all. And so it's, it's an extraordinary state of affairs. And the government has also admitted that Brexit, 
these Brexit checks, when they come in, will lead to higher prices. They say that the effect won't be much, but in an era of a, an inflation crisis, any addition to inflation is going to be extremely unwelcome. So somebody has finally admitted at the official level that Brexit has caused um, at least part of a serious problem. But the, the other thing that we've talked about recently in the context of the UK is how well London does. And you mentioned that piece in The Economist, which is fascinating from a data journalism point of view. It's much more uh, a richer experience to read stuff online these days, uh, often the case, than the print version. I know we're both uh, old enough to enjoy actually picking up the physical copies of these things. But the online version of some of this stuff now is, is so different to the print. Um, I think that it's going to accelerate the demise of print, to be honest because there's this article about German bombing and the graphics are extraordinary. You can zoom in at street level and look at individual points on the map where individual bombs fell on London. You can see where a German bomber would have flown over a street, releasing its bombs as it flew along the line of the street and how each bomb went bang, 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 destroying a house in turn. Quite extraordinary stuff. The reason why I draw attention to this article is because of data journalism. It's so interesting, but equally... One of the reasons why uh, London became the city that it did after the war for decades was the response of the planners to these bomb sites. It didn't happen immediately because they didn't have the resources to replace the buildings or build new buildings on the on the sites. They were often just boarded up, used as car parks. Sometimes they were just derelict. I can remember in the 1970s walking past sites that were still derelict as a result of German bombing 30 years previously. Um, but eventually they got around to building on these sites. And often when they did so, planning regulations were lifted. Um, they basically eased a lot of the regulations. And in particular, the ones that said about how high you could build. And the, what actually that resulted in was London's takeoff as the city that it became today. And these academics that have studied this building post the bombing say that it's led to agglomeration effects. People, um, basically, I, this is my language, not theirs, so for, for, forgive the metaphor, but this is, if you put enough people together in close enough proximity, all their ideas have sex with each other and you get this amazing burst of creativity. And that's what happens to, to the present day in London because you've got so, so much activity concentrated in such a small area. And the moral of the story is if you want to get some economic growth going, if you want to get your cities going, suspend your planning laws interesting concept in an Irish context Chris uh, time is up we'll wrap it there uh, th thank you very much as usual for an interesting conversation and I look forward to talking again speak to you later in the week mate cheers you have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand hope you enjoyed it our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our substack account www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as apple and spotify if you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements you can sign up to our substack account comments and feedback are much appreciated 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.